Asymmetrical Haircuts Justice Update in partnership with justiceinfo.net. All rise. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. So, the United States government reckons the International Criminal Court is a failed institution, which is grossly ineffective. And U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo called it a kangaroo court. Well, we've heard this language from him before, but the new thing is that there's now an executive order. It was done on June 11th, and it declared the ICC the, the unusual and extraordinary threat that constitutes a national emergency and warned that there might be sanctions against it. Yeah, it's officially called an executive order on blocking property of certain persons associated with the International Criminal Court. And in detail, it says that any person directly involved in bringing US personnel or allies of the US who aren't members of the court, any of their property or their payments which comes through the US can be blocked. Yeah, it's a huge swathe of, of what, they're, what they're trying to target. This is, of course, linked uh, in large part to the Afghanistan investigation, where uh, the ICC is looking at CIA black sites and possible war crimes there. We had a whole podcast on it with Catherine Gallagher before, so we'll link to that in the show notes. And there is also the Israel-Palestine case at the ICC that um, the U.S. is very upset about and doesn't want the ICC to do anything with uh, states that are not members. It's all a bit surreal um, trying to get your head around what this actually means. I I do remember the time, I'm sure you do as well, Steph, of the Hague Invasion Act when we're all speculating about whether if the ICC really got going that the US would end up invading uh, the Hague and rescuing one of its uh, people. Again, material for some kind of a Hollywood blockbuster. And we've known, as you said, that there has been a rocky relationship for a long time. But this is a real all-out attack on the court. It really makes the court's work very difficult to pursue. Um, It's very broadly written uh, as an order and it's all about providing material support who knows what that is services who knows what that is could it be ngos businesses academics academic institutions i was thinking podcast about my- presenters <laughs> well i was thinking about myself as being um chairing an event at last year's assembly of states parties a side event sponsored by the norwegian government on what was going on in Afghanistan. Uh, am I going to get targeted? So for all these questions and more, we caught up with Beth Van Schaak. Uh, she's currently at Stanford. There's a long list of honors that we have. She's Leah Kaplan, visiting professor of human rights, Stanford Law School acting director, human rights and conflict resolution clinic faculty affiliate. She's with the Handa Center for Human Rights and International Justice. Uh, she also uh, comments on Just Security, which is a site that I read a lot. And um, But most importantly, she worked at the State Department in the War Crimes Department as a deputy head. So from her experience after the previous Pompeo threats and uh, the kind of bashing of the ICC that we've seen from the US in the last couple of years, was this expected? We were expecting something along these lines from the Trump administration. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had warned in March 2020 that there would be additional, quote unquote, consequences for the International Criminal Court authorizing the Office of the Prosecutor to move forward with her Afghanistan investigation. And so we knew that this was a possibility. 
frankly, when I was in government back in the, you know, 2012, there was talk even then because the Afghanistan preliminary examination was moving forward. And there was some sort of lingering talk about what tools might be available for the United States to use if and when this moved forward. And many of us were just aghast that it would even be considered taking some some measure along this line. Now, fast forward, we're in the Trump administration. We originally had John Bolton, who has a congenital antipathy towards the court that's been, you know, expressed whenever he has the opportunity to do so. And as soon as he was appointed, I think many of us were concerned that the United States relationship not only would sour, but actually could become incredibly hostile. And in fact, that's where we've landed. It's uh, quite a feature of American foreign policy, this idea of sanctions regimes. Uh, There's been some things in the news recently because, for example, there's the Caesar Act, which was named after the defector who brought inside information about the Syrian government torture sites out. That's just kicked into effect with um, some new sanctions on individuals. So we also wanted to understand a bit more about how actually an executive order like this works in practice, who would actually be affected. So we asked Beth to explain some more about how these executive orders works. These sanctioned regimes are incredibly powerful tools, and we have historically deployed them against terrorists, human rights abusers, rogue regimes like North Korea and Syria. In fact, just today, I got a notice from OFAC, which is the Office of Foreign Assets Control, which administers these sanctions, indicating new designations. And I immediately jumped on there to search for some of the names of individuals whom I know have been considered for sanctions. Fortunately, they're not on there, but those who are on there and the new designations all emerge out of the Caesar account. Accountability Act. These are the serious sanctions. So in the past, we've deployed these against drug kingpins, etc. And now here we are deploying them against individuals who are working to promote accountability for the worst crimes known to humankind. So it's a perversion of that process. But the executive order is, in fact, quite broad. It focuses on foreign nationals who are somehow associated with the Afghanistan investigation and investigations against our allies. And so we know that could be most closely probably the Israeli matter that's moving forward also in parallel with the Afghanistan matter, particularly with the July deadline for potential annexation approaching. That's obviously a very acute issue with U.S. foreign policy. And so there's some arguments that this executive order is actually really more geared towards that situation rather than the Afghanistan situation because it's so unlikely that someone might be indicted in the Afghanistan situation, just given the lack of state cooperation, the fact that the Taliban's crimes against humanities are also under inquiry, etc. So what the executive order authorizes is essentially the freezing of any assets that are within the United States of any persons who are designated. Now, what's important is it's still so far a so-called naked executive order, which is to say nobody has been directly designated into the program yet, as far as we know. Generally, those designations are made public because banks need to adhere to them by law. And so they're made public, they're circulated like the circular I received today from OFAC, and then banks review those generally and and determine whether or not they have somebody who who owns an account, for example, or a mortgage or some piece of property here in the United States. So at the moment, it's really a looming and quite a cruel threat to personnel of the ICC. But you know, the State Department is given the authority in consultation with an interagency process, including the Treasury Department, to designate individuals into this program. And so this is a latent power that's sitting there waiting to be used. And so you can imagine, 
if the Afghanistan situation moves forward, if it becomes apparent that there is a U.S. person who is being considered either a direct perpetrator or someone up the chain of command, you can imagine that Pompeo would go back and ramp things up even further by specifically designating Fatou Bensouda, the chief prosecutor, anyone whom they're able to figure out is actually working on the Afghanistan case, judges potentially who would rule to allow the, the situation to move forward, etc. We've been wondering what are the practical implications for the court now? Can the ICC operate at all with this threat hanging over the personnel? And could the sanctions really go beyond people who work at the court, like anyone who gives support or your lowly podcast presenters who, who report on these things? We don't know. Because the executive order includes individuals who are somehow associated with the ICC, providing some form of material support, you're exactly right that it's not just the foreign personnel at the court that we're concerned about. It could actually reach, you know, IBM if it's selling printers to the court and some printer happens to be involved in the Afghanistan situation. And often what happens is entities that realize a sanctions regime is in place out of an abundance of caution, they'll sort of over comply with that sanction regime. And if it's a small contract, for example, it would be very easy for IBM to say, it's not worth it. I don't want to risk being subject to fines potentially here in the United States if I continue to provide some form of, of technology assistance to the court. And so it was described by one individual in Colombia who was subject to these sanctions as a civil death, because it it's so impossible to operate in today's world when so much, so many banks, people's salaries, etc., go through New York, thanks to Alexander Hamilton, right? New York is the center of international banking, and the dollar is essentially the currency used across the globe. And so even if a transaction just passes momentarily through the United States, for example, someone who's getting paid in by direct deposit, that could potentially be subject to seizure. So the, the tool is incredibly robust. And so the fact that it is being deployed against individuals, individual civil servants, international civil servants who are just doing their job, providing account accountability really is a perverse use of this tool. I also wondered, I know it's a bit of a stretch, but is it possible that this policy could actually rebound on the Trump administration? I mean, you know, is there kind of a bright side to it? Maybe it forces states to declare their support for the court. Maybe it helps to make it clear whose side states' parties are really on. I've worked in government, right? And so when I choose a policy, I generally hope that my policy will be effective. And so the question is, is this going to be an effective policy? And one of the side effects, I think, is that many individuals, entities, countries, state representatives who've had some ambivalence about the court, right? They're, they're generally dissatisfied with its outcomes, with its working methods. It's subject to this review process to try and strengthen its methods, etc. What we're seeing is many of those sort of critical voices are now rallying around the court and supporting the court. It's just like we would hope what would happen on a, on a schoolyard, right? If there's a, a neighborhood bully, you want the other kids of the neighborhood to step forward and protect the victim. And I think that's what we're seeing now. We have the American Bar Association, a number of high-level diplomats, the EU members, etc., are all stepping forward and, and getting on record publicly by stating how unprecedented this is and how inappropriate it is to deal with an institution that is aiming for accountability. There are many ways that the United States can defend against the Afghanistan situation, and Israel is perfectly capable of defending against that investigation as well, using the rule of law in a principled way, using the Rome Statute framework. It provides mechanisms for states to appear. The United States didn't make a formal appearance when this Afghanistan situation was being considered, and that was 
was a missed opportunity. We should have sent lawyers. We should have explained our position on the legality of asserting jurisdiction over the nationals of non-member states. We should have explained what we've done from a complementarity perspective in terms of holding individuals responsible for the custodial abuses that happened in Afghanistan. We should explain the radical and very dramatic policy changes that happened, the new legislation that was implemented, all the types of accountability that the inspector general of the CIA did, that the Senate undertook all around those custodial abuses, and convince the court or the prosecutor in this case not to exercise her discretion in this regard and to focus her energy on the Taliban, which is an entirely maleficent actor in the international scene. But we didn't. We forewent that possibility and instead basically did this sort of sucker punch against the personnel of the court. It's such a huge, wide policy. It casts a very wide net on all the things that it could do. And the U.S. is very, very powerful in that. Is there anything the court itself can do? Unfortunately, past precedent shows that it's very difficult for individuals and entities to challenge these sort of sanctions regime, either the regime as a whole or if you personally are designated within that regime. But because this sanctioned regime requires the determination by the executive that there's an extraordinary national security crisis, essentially, and this particular situation is so far from that, I could imagine that U.S. courts might be less willing to accord the degree of deference that they have accorded in the past to these sort of foreign policy decisions that previous executives have made. Another concern I have is that the Europeans have at times been concerned about overreach of these sanctions regimes in situations like Cuba, for example, or Iran, where the Europeans are still very committed to the JCPOA, the um, Iran nuclear deal. And we have sort of defected from that and, and reimposed sanctions. So they've imposed various blocking statutes and sort of have refused to go along. And I could imagine them refusing to go along with a, another range of sanctions regimes that we might find very important, like Global Magnitsky, which is meant to be focused on protecting human rights defenders. Does the case in the Philippines recently against a journalist, you know, does that really affect national security? No, but it's subject to the Global Magnitsky regime because she's a human rights defender. And so theoretically, we could lose the ability to use these sanctions regimes against genuine human rights abusers who don't really touch national security here in the United States. If Congress were to go back and revisit this authorizing statute, the IEPA, or if the courts were suddenly to push back on some of these designations. And so I'm worried that we're actually losing a really effective tool because of this incredible overreach by the Trump administration. And there really is no way to challenge this easily until you've been designated. But I hope that the courts would be more willing to buck the trend of previous courts that have given this great deference to the executive in this area. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, to Beth Van Schack for stepping up there for us and explaining so much about it. We'll obviously be watching to see how it works out practically. And also we're going to take a look at which state are putting it on the agenda. The Dutch have stepped up and said things. Uh, there are maybe other stuff in the works. I saw uh, a declaration from the European Union. So who knows how this is going to develop, but we'll keep an eye on it for you. Great. Thanks very much. Thank Bye. you. Bye. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. It is published in partnership with justiceinfo.net. You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe 
give us a rating and spread the word.